putting or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody feeling this morning? It is so good to be here with you today. And uh, I'm super excited to be here today because I have my best friend, my wife, a beautiful lady um, and partner in life, mother of our three children with me today. Jackie Anderson is joining us on stage today. And so I'm super excited to be here with you. And uh, first, let me just say welcome to everyone. If you're watching at Garfield Park or Banta or Franklin, or if you're watching online at home, if you're watching here at Greenwood in the lobby, we want to say welcome to everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, we started a brand new series called Making It Work. And we decided to talk about all things relationships because it's February and it's Valentine's Day. Today's actually Valentine's Day. Um, And so hopefully you guys have your gifts ready for your loved ones. I didn't do so good with that. So, but today is not over. Today is not over. Maybe you're in a better position than I am in right now. I got some work to do, but uh, I do. I do love you. I do love you on Valentine's Day. But yeah, we wanted to talk about relationships and romance and everything we're going to talk about in this series is not just about marriage. Yes, we are talking about marriage, but if you're in any kind of relationship with roommates, with parents, brothers, sisters, siblings, uh, if you're on a team, if you have fellow coworkers, if you have people that work for you, if you have a boss, all the stuff that we're talking about is uh, transferable to your relationships. So don't tune me out if you're a middle school student, high school student if you're divorced or if you're single, because you can use this stuff. And statistics show there's a really good chance that if you're not married in the future, you will get married. So yeah, we're talking about making it work. Last week we talked about the secret sauce of our marriage, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. And so we talked about four ways to do that, encouragement, appreciation, meeting needs, discovering need, and meeting needs. And then we also talked about creating space for faults. And so I thought I'd start with you this morning and say, you know, what's the biggest way or the way that you make room for faults? Or what's the fault that you make room for in our marriage? Just curious. You really want me to start with that? No. First of all, just let me say thanks so much for having me up here. This is super fun. Um, It's always nice. The week leading up to a weekend like this, we get to spend a lot of extra time together during the day preparing and meeting with teams. So I really enjoyed that. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, what's the question? What, what, how do I make allowance for you? Yeah, last week we talked about creating space okay. for each other's faults. Yeah, create, okay, so uh, Danny really likes to make protein shakes, which I think is awesome. You're healthy, and that's great. You work out, and then you want to have a protein shake, sometimes more than one a day. I don't know if that's healthy. Do you do more than one a day? I do not do more okay, than one Okay, so a anyway, day. We, but when he makes them... The powder, you know, it doesn't always get in the cup. So then there's the protein powder left over, and then he's usually in a hurry, so the tops of the strawberries are, like, left, and the banana peel is there, and 
sometimes the lid of the almond, you know, the almond milk, if that container was done. So it's just, you know, he's usually in a hurry. He's on his way out the door, and it's just messy. And I like a clean counter, I think. So what I'm hearing you say is that you would appreciate it if I maybe cleaned up the counter after I make a shake. Is that yeah. what? Mm -hmm. That's good. Let me make a note of that. <laughs> this is really healthy for our marriage. I'm glad we talked talk yeah. about this. Mm -hmm. So we're processing on the fly here. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I'm going to try to make that list shorter. Remember we talked about make, make her list longer, make your list shorter? Oh, that's, that's really good. So today, what we're going to do is talk about five ideas that we have discussed in the last couple of weeks that make our marriage what it is today. We are actually today, we're a bit, we've been married 21 and a half years on Valentine's Day. So that's our anniversary, 21 and a half years. 22 years uh, in August, August 14th, and we got married right here in this spot. And so uh, it's amazing that two decades have gone by and we're still best friends and we love hanging out with each other and we can't wait to be together. In fact, our youngest is two and a half years away from leaving our house, so we will have an empty nest coming up. And, and we are, we're pumped, we're, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Like we are like talking about stuff we're yeah. gonna do, and so we're very, very excited about that. Um, so we like each other, and, and it's not a perfect marriage. I'm sure we got some stuff to work on. Obviously, I gotta clean the counters a little bit better. Um, <laughs> but we do wanna share some ideas that have helped us to get to where we are today. And so this is really not a sermon. This is just, man, what has worked for us. We got five ideas. Why don't you jump into the first one? Yeah. So the first thing that we discussed makes it work for us is that we just stay interested in one another. Um, you know, you think back to when you first met your spouse, your significant other, and, you know, you probably saw them from across the room and, and you were attracted to them, but there was something else, too, that made you wonder and want to know more about them because they were interesting. So you go on that first date and, you know, you did find them interesting and then that progresses and you continue to learn more and more and stay interested in this person all the way up to the altar. But then you get married and you have jobs and maybe you have a couple of kids and life just happens. You know, they start to have practices and games and activities and you just find yourself sometimes in this like period of redundancy where it's like work and dinner and baths and TV and bed and you know, you're doing kind of the same thing. It's like Groundhog Day. You're doing it over and over and over again. And we can really easily get so focused on what's happening in our day-to-day -day lives that we start to lose interest in one another. And that's dangerous for a couple of reasons. You know, I'm sure you know the couples that, you know, they've made it through until they, they launched their kids out of the nest and then they, they're in the empty nest years, which should be the, like the most fruitful and the most sweet years of all. And, and they're looking at each other going, like, who are you? You know, like we haven't connected here in, you know, 20, 25 years. And I don't know who this person is. I don't know what, what he's interested in, what gets him going or what makes him tick and he doesn't know that about me and so we uh, find ourselves you know you, you see a lot of couples splitting at this stage which is sad because it's supposed to be like you've done all this work to get to this place and it should be like sweet and fun and exciting but it, it's not that way for a lot of people or uh, the other danger is that you know you don't find your spouse interesting you find somebody at work interesting and, or, or, you know, your spouse has stopped asking you questions and somebody, you know, at the gym finds you interesting and all of a sudden that's kind of like a prime breeding ground for affairs and, and relationships that, that shouldn't be happening and divorce. Yeah. So we just, 
try to stay interested in each other and it's super easy to just ask the question, you know, what did you do today? At the end of the day, yeah, how was your day today? What did you do today? And just kind of, and not only asking that question and creating a space and creating time to ask that question, but engaging, listening to that answer, having follow-up questions, and then, and then following up the next day, you know, how did your thing go that you were telling me about and yeah, those so sorts we, of things. We try to do this um, every single day and sometimes multiple times through the day. So. Um, in the mornings, we call it our 9 o'clock phone call. It's not always at 9 o'clock. A lot of times it's at 10 o'clock or 9.30. Uh, but we try to check in and say, hey, how's your morning going? And a lot, we don't always get to do that. Um, and it's just, if I know she's got something going on early in the morning, I'll check in or she'll check in with me and we'll talk. And then we'll, we'll hang. It's like a five-minute conversation. And then at the end of the day, we'll have the same conversation over dinner and say, okay, how was the rest of your day? And it just allows us to stay interested so we're not two, two ships going in opposite directions with my career and she's got her career we stay we stay connected so yeah. it's really good stay stay interested staying interesting yeah each other. I have one other thought about that I was actually thinking um, this last week about how what is my responsibility to it to, to stay interested and I, I really feel like it's to be interesting and a lot of times as human beings we kind of hit a level and we, we plateau intellectually, we plateau in our careers, we plateau in our interests or hobbies, and our spouse has learned everything there is to learn about us, and guess what? We've become boring. We really are. One of my staff members said, we become like a plant. <laughs> it's like your spouse is married to a plant. And you know, you look at the plant, you bought the plant because it's pretty and it's attractive, and maybe it has a few blooms every now and then. But then, other than that, this thing is completely boring. It doesn't do anything. And if you sit there and you look at it, you just get bored to death, and nobody likes to stare at plants. And so, my staff, one of the staff members, Joey, our worship leader, he said, What you're saying is, don't be a plant. I'm like, Exactly. So, what I try to do is, I try to read books, I try to listen to podcasts, I try to, you know, be, be you know, invest my life in people so that on any given day, if my wife says, how was your day? I always have new content. Well, I listen to this podcast or I'm reading this new book or I have this interesting conversation with this person because I'm investing and I'm trying to be an interesting person. You have anything to add to that besides don't be a plant? No, I think that's great. Great. Yeah. Take us into number two. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> number two, the second idea to make it work is to agree on expectations. If you are dating, if you're engaged, if you are in the process of heading toward marriage, our advice to you would be to do this now. Get out a piece of paper, get out a pen or a pencil, and think of all the different categories of like, like what does it mean to live? Like, what do you need to live? What are household chores? Who's gonna handle that? And in which, which ways are you gonna delegate those responsibilities? Uh, budget and finances, work-life balance, intimacy, um, am I missing anything? Yeah, go through all the categories and talk about what are your expectations, what are your desires for who's going to handle what in the marriage, because without that, you tend to project whatever you saw growing up onto your spouse. So for instance, my dad is, he's great at house stuff, house projects, he's always fixing something, uh, and he's particularly good at the lawn. So if you drive by our house, by, by their house, anytime in the spring, summer, fall, that grass is like, it's amazing. It's green, it's like a perfect level, it's edged, you know, the flowers are blooming. It's got lines in it, you know, overflowing you know the, the top, right? Yeah. Beautiful. So 
naturally, I just expected that that's what the guy did. Like, I expected that he was going to love doing the lawn, you know? It didn't take very long of owning our first home for me to realize, like, this ain't happening because our grass is dead. You know, it's yellow. It's all, you know, weeds growing up. And, you know, we actually, finally... We actually had one of our pastors here at church felt so bad for us that he, he came over and he started cutting <laughs> my grass for me. And like, dude, you can't cut my grass. That's not... But yeah. just, I did, we just... He was a, he's a servant. Yeah. That's why. Uh, so, you know, we finally had a conversation and he just said, you know, I, I have allergies. Like... The last thing, the very last thing I want to do on my one day off is mow the lawn. I just hate it. I hate everything about it, and I don't want to do it. And so we tag-teamed that for a while. I mean, we shared that responsibility until our kids got old enough to, you know, we delegated it and put it off on them, which is awesome. Uh, But, you know, I had to realize at some point that I didn't marry my dad, and that's okay. Because I married this man who has different qualities than what I saw in my dad growing up. And they're all great qualities and things that these are the reasons I married him. They're different, but that's okay. Like I need to, I married him for a specific reason. And so, um, Did you want to talk about any of those qualities? (laughs) Maybe just one. You make a great protein shake. (laughs) So basically, we just asked the question, who is going to do what? Who is going to do what? This is a great question. And I, honestly, in a seriously, serious note, the, the couples that I've seen get tripped up. And, and I, I know this is not just about marriage, but the, the relationships that get tripped up, uh, this is a huge part of it. Unclear expectations. And I thought you would. And I thought when this, in this friendship you would act this way. I thought you would you know, act this way. I thought we would do more dating. I thought we would make more money. I thought you would work harder. I thought we would go on more vacations. And all these I thoughts that didn't happen end up in disappointment. And so one of the things that, that we try to do is get clear on all the expectations. One of the best decisions we ever did or made conversations we've ever had was about how when we get married, we're going to take any money that you make and any money that I make, and we're going to put it into one fund, and it's going to be our money. You're not going to have your money, and I'm not going to have my money, and then you spend your budget, and I spend my budget. We're one flesh. We're one team, and we're going to function off of a budget, and any spending outside of that budget, we're going to have a conversation about. You're not going to go off spending stuff. I'm not going to go off spending money, and then we circle back and say, hey, what's this purchase? What's that purchase? That's a recipe for a lot of arguments. So because we were so clear on those expectations, we haven't had a fight about money in, gosh, I don't know how many years, probably over, over a decade at least, because of the clear expectations. Yeah. Why don't you talk about number three? Well, before we move on, I just want to say, too, that expectations are going to change mm-hmm. throughout the seasons of your marriage. So however you set things up when you're first married, that's going to look different when you add a couple of kids. And then it's going to look different when your kids get big enough to, to handle a lot of their own responsibilities. And then there's going to be another iteration whenever the kids leave and you have an empty nest, which is where we're heading in the next couple of years. And there's a lot of things like, I I don't know who's going to unload the dishwasher whenever they leave or walk the dog. That that would be you. (laughs) We'll have to have a conversation about it, right? We're we're having it right now. This is very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it, church. Right. Yeah. Working stuff some working some stuff out here. Maybe we should move on to point number three. Sure. Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, number so three. The, the third the third idea to make it work is to attack problems and not your spouse. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the first step in solving so many marital problems is to separate the problem from your spouse and not lump the two in one category, to take that target of the thing you want to attack and put it on the issue and not on the person. Because the tendency is that we lump them together and we, are, we, we tend to attack our spouse along with the issue and then we use personal pronouns and we're making statements like, you know, you, you're inconsistent, you're lazy, you're, you're so selfish, and we're, we're attacking the person, not the problem. When we do that, we put our spouse on the defense, and they can't hear any criticism. They can't hear anything um, positive or, or that would facilitate a change because they're digging in, they're like putting up their defenses, they're looking for ammo to use against you as soon as you take a breath. They're thinking all the things that I can say to, to my spouse so that I can, because I'm in a defensive posture and now I'm ready to fight. And so it, you know, using, not, not separating the two just creates fights and arguments and it's not productive at all. Yeah, on a practical level, that, that what that looks like is that there are small problems and big problems that we need yeah. to deal with. Why don't you work through this? The yeah, small so problems. practically, uh, so the small problems we call like level one problems are going to be the things that they're not sinful. They're not things that are gonna like ruin your life or ruin your marriage, and they're things that should be able to, we should be able to look, like overlook them easily. So Gary Chapman, he, he's the five love languages guy, and Which, he's written way, this book. If you have not read the five love languages, that is a must read. Uh, even if you're single, just moving into a marriage. If you are married, man, pick that up as soon as you can. It's one, sorry, I just wanted to say that. We're gonna but talk this is another interrupting book. in just a few minutes. We're, we're, we'll get there. But um, <laughs> Hey, hey, attack the problem, not your spouse. <laughs> right, the problem is interrupting, not you. Uh. <laughs> so this is called The Marriage You've Always Wanted, and this is a great little book um, to read. And he gives such a great example about when he first married his wife, and he says, she was a great drawer opener, but she was a terrible drawer closer. And it just drove him crazy, and he continued to, you know, hey, can you take care of this? Can you please close the drawers? Even like their toddler tripped and fell and cut his or her eye on the drawer and had to go get stitches, and he thought, well, surely she's gonna change her ways now. She didn't, you know, she was just forgetful. So he decides, you know, I'm a therapist. I'm a marriage therapist. I, I gotta be able to figure this out. So he goes to his office, gets out a pen and paper and says, okay, this is the problem. What can I do about it? All right, number one, I can leave my wife because she won't close the drawers. Number two, I can continue to get angry and bitter and resentful and like, you know, just seethe about the drawers all the time. Number three, I could close the drawers. <laughs> and he realized, you know, like this is the only option. I'm not leaving her, getting bitter and angry over something like this is silly. So my job is just to close the drawers, just to handle the thing. Or wipe down the counters. Or just to wipe down the counter, yeah. That's a great example. But you've been doing that for... 15 years probably, I would say. Creating space yes. for my fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're such a good wife. Oh, I love you. So yeah, so those are the smaller problems, and, and really we should help our spouses over, just kind of overlook those and close the drawers and wipe down the counters as much as we can for both of, uh, both of each other. But then there's these level two problems where they're, they're actually, something needs to change. Like 
one spouse is doing something that is toxic, one spouse is doing something that is hurting the other spouse, whether that is consistent overspending on a budget or consistent over, you know, you, uh, misuse of alcohol, and now there's, the, the, there's alcoholism involved or there's uh, pornography involved in the relationship and it's hurting the, the relationship. And if something doesn't change, the relationship is going to come to uh, uh, some sort of end. And so... Those problems, those problems actually require some behavioral change. In the book, he talks about a three-step system to kind of help through that process. The first step is to ask permission. And this simply means it looks like this. Like, hey, I've, I've got to talk to you about something. It's pretty important. Uh, it's going to be a, a longer conversation. Do you think we can talk about it tonight over dinner at 5.30? And you're getting permission to have the discussion. You're setting it up so that your spouse is not taken off guard and put on the defense. And sometimes your spouse will say, you know what, I don't really want to get anything. I'm too deep tonight. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Can we talk about it tomorrow? That's fine. We'll talk about it tomorrow. How about tomorrow at dinner? Get permission to do that. Second, the second step is to front load. When you have the discussion, front load with compliments. What this looks like is when you're going to talk about something difficult that needs to change in your relationship, don't just go for the issue. Start with three things that your spouse is doing really well. Hey, I want to talk to you about something before we talk to that. Can I just tell you, I just think you're doing a fantastic job picking up your dirty laundry, putting it in the hamper. Thank you for paying the bills online. I don't have to do that. And I really appreciate the fact that you wipe the counters down, even though I'm messy. But there's this one issue that we need to talk about. Now, that may seem simple, but in the book, Gary says this. He actually gives a, a real-life example. He says that when his wife came at him with three compliments on the front end before she made the complaint, he felt like he was doing a pretty good job as a husband, that he wasn't a total failure, that basically what his wife was saying was, you're good, you're good, you're good, you just have to make a small tweak. And that let him know that he was winning, and so he didn't feel attacked. So when you front load with three compliments, you're avoiding the whole situation of picking a fight. And then, number three, you talk about the issue without using personal pronouns to attack the person like, you're messy, you're lazy, you're inconsistent, you're inconsiderate, you're selfish. You avoid all that. You talk about what the actual issue is. Now, you've probably heard of the sandwich illustration when you're, you know, or the sandwich strategy. You can... Uh, dump some compliments on the back end of this and kind of sandwich that, that would work as well. Now, so, also, some of you are probably looking at this and thinking, man, I've tried that. I've talked to my spouse before about this issue or that issue, and they didn't change, and they don't want to hear it. What do I do then? Well, our recommendation in that situation is to get a third party involved. If there's, a situa if there's something your spouse is doing and it's causing the marriage to come to a, you know, a, a head or, or some sort of end uh, or you're thinking about ending it, get a counselor involved. We have two counselors here at the church available to you at no charge to you. Uh, get, call somebody up and say, hey, we need a third party to kind of work out this issue before it gets, uh, gets to the point where we want to bail. There's also another book that Gary Chapman wrote called Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away. Um, and in that, I feel like he gives some really great, you know, he's been doing this for 20, 30 years. So he gives great advice for practical situations that people are struggling with. They're yeah. a little bit more de uh, deep. So good. Yeah.
Take us into number four. All right, so number four, the idea that we have for making it work is just to avoid all negative communication. And, you know, I think Danny said this at the beginning, but, the, you know, all of these things, they apply to all relationships. This, this applies to a friendship, to a work relationship, to family uh, relationships. The, the last point we just talked about in this one, too, negative communication in any relationship is just not helpful. It's toxic. It erodes trust respect. It causes the other person to wonder, you know, where do they stand with you? You know, where they, they feel insecure in their standing in the relationship. And it's just not helpful. Negative communication can be verbal or nonverbal. Uh, it can be, you know, just your, your posture, the way that you are, you know, standing in, in the room or, you know, not like being open to communication. Uh, and here are some examples. Uh, Name-calling, foul language, walking away, harsh correction, shaming, that's a big one, bringing up the past, interrupting. (laughs) He struggles with that one. Uh, Raising your voice, eye-rolling, and giving the silent treatment. So those are a couple examples of the nonverbal and verbal uh, negative communication that we would try to avoid in our relationship, um, unless we're you know, teasing each other or trash talking before the board game, um, things like that. But She uh, actually does that. You would not think that my wife is a trash talker. She's so gentle and so kind, like 97% of the time. Put a board game out on the table, it's like she turns into this different person. It's like, I'm gonna crush you. <laughs> Who are you? (laughs) Yeah, so we just try not to do it because it's not helpful. Yeah, and a lot of these are tough to to let go of because we learned them in our houses growing up. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily learn this from my mother, but, you know, the silent treatment, um, when, when she would do something or, or that I didn't like and put a rule in place, I wouldn't talk to her for like a day or two. And I know she's probably watching right now, and I'm sorry, Mom, I put that, put that through you, but it was a passive-aggressive way to kind of inflict pain. And, and that just doesn't work in a marriage. And, and so a lot of these, a lot of this stuff is, is, ta- is learned behavior that you have, to, you have to let go. And the way you let go of it is you understand that this type, silent treatment or, or raising your voice. One, one time Jackie asked me, I, I asked her, I said, is there anything I'm doing in the house that's kind of making you uncomfortable or driving you nuts? And she told me, she said, when you raise your voice at the children, I hate it. I, I don't like it. it. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up in a house like that. So I stopped yelling at the kids which, man, that was so effective, but, uh, but, I, but I, I relearned how to, how to talk to the kids, because she, so she didn't like it. You just she started throwing their shoes across the garage. Yeah, I, start, I just throw stuff now. I don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but last night, someone said something about walking away that I thought was really important. Why don't you share that real quick? Yeah, uh, so she came down, and she said, you know, in our marriage, you're saying, you know, not to walk away, but we have realized that, that, I have a huge temper, and if I'm not careful, I can say things. You don't um, actually have a no, huge temper. No, no, temper. not she, me. Yeah, she yeah, was saying right. this, that she has a, a, a temper, and if she doesn't take a minute and gather herself and process things, she'll say some things that she didn't want to say in a way that's not helpful. And so they have an understanding that when it starts to get tense, 
you know, she's going in the other room for 10 minutes to uh, kind of gather herself and, and get ready so that she doesn't flip her lid. Yeah. And I think that that's really healthy. That's, that shows so much self-awareness and it shows that they're working together. They know how to solve the problem. And so in some, I mean, we weren't really talking about that. We were just talking about like just being like refusing to talk about the problem and just leaving. Yeah, in yeah. the first year of our marriage, I did that. We got into an argument. We were living in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I just walked out. I didn't say anything. I just walked out of the house. I got in my car. I drove to the campus, walked around the campus for an hour or whatever, came home. And when I came home, my, she was crying. She was upset. And I'm like, gosh, I knew we had a fight, but what, well, I didn't think it was that bad. And she thought that I left, like, left, left. You know what I'm saying? Like, divorce, like wanted to divorce her. And I'm like, no, I just needed to go take a walk. She said, can you never do that again? I said, absolutely, I'll never. And since that day, I've never just walked away unless there was an understanding that, hey, I need some time to, to take a break or whatever and be, uh, be away. We've just committed to Colossians chapter four, verse six. This is what the apostle Paul wrote. He said, let your conversation or let your words, let your communication be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. The right response for everyone is to speak the truth in love. And love is edifying. Love is uplifting. So our decision in our marriage is to encourage one another and build one another up in conversation as we talk to each other, which means there's no room for any of that negative conversation because it erodes the trust and the love of the relationship. So jump into number five for us. Yeah, um, I think this is my favorite one. And this is just creating a vision for your marriage. Uh, thinking about the end goal. You know, when, when we're dating, when we're engaged, that end goal for that time period is the wedding. And so you're totally focused on that and it's fun to plan and there's a lot of excitement. You're getting other people involved. But a lot of couples, once that wedding has happened, they just stop talking about the future. Like, what is gonna happen? Where do we wanna be in the future? And so what happens is, you know, 10 years down the line, they're looking around and they're going, how did we get here? You know, how are we in so much debt? How do our children are such, you know, misbehavior coming from our kids? How are we fighting all the time? Like when I married you, I did not want to be here, mm -hmm. but nobody right after the wedding, nobody had that conversation of, okay, we're married now. Where do we want to be in 20 years? What do we want that to look like? Our relationship financially as parents and on all of the different categories. And what I love about this principle, it relates to your marriage relationship, but it relates to spirituality, to business, to your physical health, to all of these other you know, financial goals. You can take this and apply it to anything, which I think is great. So you know, we love to talk about where we wanna be in 20 years, and you can literally reverse engineer to, to have the most uh, promising outcome to get that future. And you can say, okay, if we wanna be here in 20 years, what do we need to do every year for 20 years? Years to be there in 20 years. Okay, now we need to know what we, we know what we need to do this year. What do we need to do every month for 12 months to get this year to happen the way we want it to? All right, now what do we need to do every week? And literally, you're working backwards and reverse engineering to down to the day, which is why we talk on the phone every day, which is why we go on dates, which is why we get away together without our kids a couple times a year, because we know the future what, that we want, and we know what we need to do to get there along the way. Yeah, so that's kind of what we do. We talk about what our relationship will look like in the future. And, you know, again, we've been married for 21 and a half years and we're best friends. Well, that's not an accident. 
we didn't get two decades into our marriage and we're experiencing this fun, satisfying relationship. Of course, it's not perfect and we got to work on some stuff, but, but how did we get to this point? Well, it's because we said, we want to be best friends when our children leave. And two and a half years, that's going to happen. And then after that, 10 years from now, after that, we still want to be best friends, sharing life together. So, that, so it's kind of like the vision for the future informs our decisions today. And then the second half of this would be to, to think about what your, the, your relationship is going to do. And this isn't intuitive. It's not just about your relationship with your spouse. It's about what your relationship will actually accomplish. Did you know that God has a plan for marriage that, that, that goes beyond your happiness? Like God has created marriage for human beings to, to, satis- to be satisfactory for both the husband and the wife. To experience love and acceptance and friendship and all that good stuff and intimacy and create a family and be mom and dad and all this stuff. But beyond you, there's a purpose to your marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, I don't know if you've ever caught this in the first book of the Bible. This is the first marriage in the Bible. God is speaking to Adam and Eve. Listen to these words. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. Have a big family. Right? That's awesome. We've done that. Many of you have done that. And then he says this. Fill the earth. Adam and Eve, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This is a massive statement. God is literally telling Adam and Eve, marriage is great for you. It's going to be awesome. You guys have each other. It's not good for man to be alone. Friendship, love, acceptance, intimacy, children, family. Now, I also want you to be in charge of everything. I want you to govern it. I want you to lead. I want you to be the governor, the president. I want you to be in charge of everything. I want you to name the animals. Not just Adam, but Adam and Eve. So what we have understood from a very long time ago, like our marriage is, is, is for us, but it's also for our children. It's also for our church. It's also for our community. The reason that Jackie is up here today is because of this statement. What can this marriage do for our church? What can it do for our community? What can it do for the world? Our marriage is a ministry. Have you ever thought about that? It's not intuitive. So you have to create a vision for what your marriage will actually do. So we're always talking about, like, I don't know, what, 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 what can we do with our marriage? What can we do together? We have financial goals and business goals so that we can do things financially for other people as a unit, as a couple. And we're so excited to, to live into some of those dreams. So the vision, like the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, It says, where there is no vision, the people are going to perish. That simply means when there's no clarity, people run in all kinds of directions. They cast off restraint. They run around like chickens with their heads cut off because there's no clarity of vision. I love this principle of vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this week as we were discussing it with the staff, uh, one of the staff members said that the purpose of marriage isn't just to cure loneliness, but it's to find someone to be on mission with. And I, I love that perspective. I think it's, it's so succinct. And I feel like when we look at the couples in our lives that we want to be like in 10, 15, 20 years, they have something in common. And that thing is that they have something bigger than themselves that they are consistently pouring into. They're in, you know, involved in Nicaragua. They're involved in Colombia. They're doing things for other people that's, that's greater than just them or their kids or their grandkids even. And so I, I love that principle and I'm excited for our future for that reason. Me too. Yeah. 
So we've said a lot today. We've talked about making marriage work by being clear on expectations, right? Staying interested, solving problems, not attacking the person, removing the negative, the negative communication, and, and having a vision for your marriage. My question for you today as you walk away, you know I always love to leave you with a question is, where are you going to start? Pick one of these. And again, if you're not married, you have relationships, so pick one of these. You're going to choose to remove the negative communication. Pick one of these ideas. Be, talk about expectations with your spouse. You know, and, and run with one of these, these ideas and see how it works out for you. This, these are the things that are making our marriage work. Now, here's, here's how we're going to wrap up today. Next week, I'm gonna, I've invited my wife back on stage. I didn't tell the 9 o'clock uh, service this. So if you have a friend that came at 9 o'clock, tell them this. Jackie's going to, she politely accepted. She's going to be back next week. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. Instead of having prepared content, we're actually going to take your questions. And so as we were talking up here, I know you probably had some thoughts and questions pop in your mind. If you want to text the word question to 65248, you're going to get a prompt to a, a page where you can actually type your question in and hit send. And then that question will come to us. And then next week, we're going to do our best to get through as many of those questions as possible. Don't text your question to this number. That's, that, that's a mistake. We won't be able to answer it. But text the word question to 65248, and then you'll be prompted to, uh, to the page. Is that pretty clear? Is that exciting or what? Think so? Think that'll work? I want to thank my wife for being here today. Can we give it up for Jackie just sharing the stage today? You did a great job. Thank you. Thanks so much. I am truly blessed to have a wife as awesome as Jackie is, and um, I appreciate you so much. As we wrap up today, um, I just want to say that the core of what makes our marriage work is without a doubt our relationship to Jesus Christ, our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, we, we've looked at many principles today, and the principles that we've applied to our life come right out of the Bible. and. It's because we've said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, you instruct us. You're the leader of our home. You're the leader of our lives. And whatever you say about our lives, the answer is yes. We're going to do it exactly how you. So if you say serve, we're going to serve. If you say honor each other, we're going to honor each other. If you say speak the truth in love, we're going to speak the truth in love. Whatever it is, if you tell us to listen before we speak, right, be slow to speak and quick to listen, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do our very best to do it your way. Because as a disciple, that's what a disciple does. A disciple is one who obeys the master. I was reading this morning in Matthew 28 in the one-year Bible. Jesus said these final words before he went back to heaven. He said, I've, given, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says these words. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you and I'll be with you to the end, of the end of the age. A disciple is someone who is learning to do what Jesus said. And because a disciple is someone who's learning to do what Jesus said, their life is getting better. I've heard it said like this, following Jesus makes your life better, but also makes you better at life. The reason that I am a decent husband, I'm, I've got work to do, but the reason I'm a decent husband is because I'm doing what Jesus said. I'm attempting to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm attempting to love her as I love my own body, as, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5. I'm doing these things. I'm trying to serve her and honor her and appreciate her. And, and, and the, the person behind all of those commands is Jesus Christ. Following Jesus makes your life better. 
but it also makes you better at life. There's some of you here today, you're watching online, you're at one of our campuses, you haven't made a decision yet to follow Jesus. You need to make that decision. What's gonna happen is there's gonna be peace that comes into your life, joy, purpose. There's gonna, your life will be flooded with meaning and significance. You will have fellowship with God. You will have kinship with God. The Bible calls it reconciliation. When two parties who were broken apart come back together and are reconciled. That's what the Bible teaches. That we're born into this world, enemies of God, sinners, separated from God because of our sin. But Christ comes to earth. He dies on the cross to wash away our sin, to take away the, the barrier that separated you and God. Did you know that that's why Jesus died? That's the whole point, to wash away the barrier between man and God, to bring two parties back together. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, our sin is transferred to him and his righteousness, his holiness is transferred to us. And that's what makes us right with God. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion on the planet. It's the only faith system that deals successfully with sin. Sin has to be removed. And so Christ dies on the cross for your sin and my sin so we can be reconciled to God. Have you put your trust in him? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? If you haven't done that yet, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. God is gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. You do that through faith. You reach out and you pray and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Be my savior. Wash me and cleanse me. If you'd like to do that right now, wherever you are watching at home, one of our campuses, take these words, make them your own and talk to God right now and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. It finally makes sense. I know why you did it to remove the barrier, to wash away my sin, all my wrongdoing. Thank you. I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me, make me as white as snow. I put my confidence in you, my trust. Be my savior today transfer your righteousness to me that I might be accepted by your Father. I trust you today. And from this day forward, teach me to do everything that you have commanded so that I might get better at life. That my life might get better. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory today, church? Come on, nice and loud, amen. People putting their faith in Christ. If you trusted Christ today, we would love to put a starter kit in your hands. We call it our saved box. In this box, there is a New Testament. There is some information about the church, baptism, small group, and there's also a coffee mug in here just to say congratulations on your decision to trust Christ. We love coffee around here. If you don't drink coffee, you can put a bang in there, Mountain Dew, whatever it is you drink for caffeine. But uh, we just wanted to say congratulations. One more time, church. Amen. Can we give God glory? Hey, hey, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a thought. Here's a thought. 
what if, what if through having successful marriages, we could change our community? What if your marriage and my marriage by raising incredible children, we could change our entire community? What if that was God's plan? See, I view it that way. When I'm trying to be a good dad, good husband, all that stuff, I don't just see my life and my house, I see the community. I see, because if my marriage fails, doesn't the opposite happen? If I cheat on Jackie, if I steal a bunch of money, if I, if I break up with her, if I get a divorce, what, think, think about the negative effects of that. It, ha- it happens all the time, right? What if I get it right? What if we get it right? What if we just love each other all the way to the end, right? And we just show people how to love and how to care and how to honor and how to serve. And think about the goodness that comes. Think about the children that are blessed from that. Think about the children's children and your grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Like I think about that when I think about being a good dad and a good husband. Maybe that's God's plan to redeem a community and to heal a country through marriages. Just a thought, just a thought. It gives you a bigger vision of what your marriage is all about.